0: undoubtedly probably one of the greatest bands to ever make music and one of the few bands where i don't think that i could find somebody anywhere and ask them if there's a single song that these people have put out that they don't like they don't love that band as you know if you've been tuning in the band that we're going to be talking about today that band is metallica Metallica, are you alive? If you've never seen Metallica live, uh, James Headfield does. He has the lead singer. He has a plethora of ways that he engages the crowd, and uh, one of my favorite ones is you know, right before they go into whatever song they're gonna sing, uh, you know, he'll stop and ask the crowd, "Are you alive?" And you know, everyone loses their shit. Um, but definitely. Not only one of the greatest bands, but one of the best live performances of all time. Definitely one of the best that I've ever seen. Um, So much that I've seen them so good that I've gone back and saw them a second time. And I think the only reason I went back to see them a second time is because the first time I didn't take my wife. And in that five-year span, she held it over my head just about almost every day. So I I had to finally decide, you know what, bug it, I gotta take her. Yeah, uh, but I'm glad we I'm glad I did because we both had a blast. Uh, we saw them in Vegas last February, February twenty two. Uh, awesome, hell of a show, and you know these guys are in their sixties, and it's still it's still a good show. Stilling, still engaged with the crowd. Uh, still a hell of a live performance, and still sound fucking awesome. Uh, obviously, James can't uh, his voice can't get as high as it did back on some of those uh, records from the eighties. Uh, but he does a good job. He's done a good job of taking care of it to kind of uh, uh, quote unquote how how would I say it take advantage of his new his new sound. Um, uh, Metallica just released their newest their newest uh, album, Seventy Two Seasons, uh, just released I think last week if I'm not mistaken or the week before. Uh, for the past couple months, they've been uh, releasing some singles. Uh, so if you're a Metallica fan, I'm sure you've already listened to that album. Uh, I'd like to hear what you have to say about it. Uh, what do you think about songs like, you know, Lux Eterna? I think that was the first one um, that, uh, that was released. Uh, you know, what do you think about it? Is it a typical Metallica album? Is it better than Saint Anger? Is it worse than Saint Anger? Uh, Metallica fans know, have some quite strong opinions about that album. But let's get to the part of Metallica that we're going to talk about today because we're not going to talk about Metallica in, a, in general and talk about their history we will talk about the history but not just the whole band we're not going to go through their entire history we're going to talk about one thing in particular and that is the multiple bassists that have gone have gone on with this band and we're going to talk about each one and what makes them different and then we're going to see course i'm gonna give my opinion who i think is the best who's my well who's my favorite i really don't know if I, I really can't i really don't know if i can say who is the best i mean the ones that they've had they all bring something to the table uh something new to the table they, they make that position and that bass guitar their own um regardless of what the opinions are of certain of certain bassists in the band I think all three of them bring something unique to the table and are well established musically, and can go. A couple of them I think can go down as some of the greatest bassists of all time, and we're gonna get into that. And I'm gonna get into a, a, uh, a fact that not a lot of people know that, and really that I didn't really know until you know I really started digging deep into Metallica uh, a few years ago. Um, so we'll talk. We'll get into that. And before we start, if you guys know who Metallica's bassists are, uh, who who they've been, let me know. And of course, as always, uh, I'm gonna put some uh, I'm gonna put some questions and some polls up. But on the Facebook page, I'd love to know who's your favorite Metallica bassist. Is it Mr. Cliff Burton? Is it Mr. Jason Newstead? Is it current bassist Robert Trujillo? Or is it our other mystery man that I didn't know about up until a few years ago? Which, if you say it's him, um, that you're probably lying. <laughs> because it's like that TikTok saying, you're a liar. This is no one's favorite. And that's not taking anything away from him. It's just, as we get into the story, it was the guy. It, I mean, he was just, so his stint was so quick and literally has nothing credited to his name as far as their music and albums go. And you can't really rag on him because without him, um, I mean, who knows where the band would have been. Uh, there may not have ever been a Metallica if it wasn't for him. But regardless, I don't want to waste any more time. I want to take this time to thank you guys for all of your continued support, uh, continuing to grow the Facebook page and continuing to grow all the social media uh, social media platforms, continuing to get, Come back and hit play. We're still growing. We're still trending in the right direction. So I thank and love you guys for that, and all the interactions, all the stuff on Spotify, all the answers to all the polls and questions on social media. I love it. I love it. I love it. Continue to do so. If you haven't, don't be afraid to reach out, guys. Answer, uh, interact with the page, and, and answer some of the questions. And let me know what you guys are, what's what's on your mind, and what you're thinking. But without further ado, let's get this pod started. So if you call yourself a metal fan, a rock fan, uh, any kind of heavy, you love any kind of heavy music, Metallica has definitely got to be on your list. Um, I mean, arguably, one of the most influential, the could be the most influential and the most popular metal band. I mean, I think they're the face of metal music. Honestly, um, I mean, if you think metal, what do you think of? Oh, Metallica. I mean, it's in their name, obviously. Um, with the success they've had and what they did to kind of break into the to the genre and what they did, kind of pioneering that, uh, pioneering that new subgenre of metal, that thrash metal, uh, giving us so many. You know, opening the door to so many other good acts uh, that have come along. Uh, there's just no way that uh, I find it hard to believe somebody out there, if there's anyone out there that doesn't at least love one song from them. I mean, everyone knows Enter Sandman. I mean, I don't I don't really know how you don't like that song. Uh, as, you know, big Metallica fans will tell you, as good as that song is, a lot of us kind of get tired of it. Um, and some of the, some of the band members, you know, in interviews talk about how corny the song may actually be, um, but well used throughout sports movies, and so well utilized in pop culture. It was part of that, you know, nineteen ninety one, you know, black what we call the black album, which is just titled Metallica, and it's not only one of the greatest metal albums of all time, but it really helped push the band more mainstream, and so songs like that really pick up not just with Metallica fans. But with, you know, people who just happen to find them on the radio, uh, people who typically probably don't like heavy music as much, but got introduced to them, and it's a lot easier on the ears and easier to to pick up and stay with. But before we can discuss how good, how awesome their music has been, how much influence they've had on music, uh, pop culture, the world, sports, everything, I mean, fuck, if it wasn't for Metallica. Uh, baseball fans know we wouldn't have the entrance music for the greatest closing pitcher to ever do it in all of major league baseball uh mariano rivera of the new york yankees uh, he used to walk out when he would come in to close the game for the yankees he would walk out to enter sandman and as a lifelong yankees hater cannot stand them hate them uh god you go back and watch it on youtube um uh, Cause he's been retired for almost coming up on 10 years now, in a couple of years, it's been about eight years, I think. Uh, you know, what they what the Yankees stadium announcer, you know, he comes in, he's like, Now pitching for the Yankees, number 42, Mariano Rivera, you know, and then here he comes walking down the steps, and you know, you hear the dun, 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 and and the they, you know, the lights start going on and off, the crowds going nuts, and, and Mariano was just was literally is literally the best to ever do it closing wise once he came in it was like you knew your fate is sealed like he's going to finish you off you're not going to you're not you're not going to uh, get any runs off of him and y'all you're going to lose this game and so but without without that song we don't have that and you know i don't know if that uh, if that walk up is going to be as uh, influential without metallica but we can't talk about all that we can't talk about how great they are Without first talking about the history of the bassist of the of the of the person who is slapping the bass and who is laying down bass lines, and we have to talk about the bass position in the band because, arguably, with their with the ba- with the bassist who was on their first three albums, Mr. Cliff Burton, arguably could be could be dubbed the greatest rock and roll bassist metal bass the greatest bassist of all time uh, influenced so many still has a legacy that is strong today and still influenced still um, still going to this day um but it like I, like we talked about earlier it almost didn't end up that way. So let's take it back to the beginning and find out how we get how, how did how did the band get to? Uh, Cliff Burton, uh, being the bassist of the band, Deciding to join and start uh, start recording their first album. So the band starts taking early formation in nineteen eighty one in Los Angeles, California. When drummer Lars Ulrich pulls out, pulls out, <laughs> he puts out in, uh, he puts out an ad uh, looking for other metal musicians to to jam with people who have the same interests and maybe they can ping off each other and see what they can make musically. Well, one of the guys who responded uh, is Mr. James Hetfield, who's playing in a band called Leather Charm at the time. And so, voila, there is your foundation for the greatest band of all time, one of the greatest bands of all time. Uh, There is your foundation for the band's creation and what what the band still really sits on and rests on today. And that's not... That's not any shade or any disrespect to any current member, any former member. Um, it's just, it's kind of always, Metallica has always been held up by the two pillars of Lars and James. That's just that's just how it is, whether you like it or not. Um, you kind of have to accept that's what it is. And that's not a dig at current members, Robert Trujillo and Kirk Hammett, both music legends, music gods. It's just those two really, they re- that's where the band stands on. But now let's get into something that not a lot of people will know. And, and, and if you know who who most people think Metallica's first bassist is, uh, Cliff Burton, who we've already kind of talked about, uh, you might be surprised to find out he was not the first bassist. There's a fourth bassist that Metallica's had that we haven't talked about yet. And here is our screw-tightening fact to start to show. Metallica's first, first bassist... Is James's bandmate at the time in Lair of the Charm, childhood friend, Mr. Ronald McGovney, or just Ron McGovney for short. And the reason you may not have heard of him is because so James kind of puts James answers Lars, you know, in eighty one. They get together, they start, uh, I think it's in early like February or something in eighty one. And over the next six months, you know, they they decide finally yeah, let's put this thing together, and they they form up. You know, Metallica, which is called something else, not really Metallica. Metallica doesn't get that name just right off the bat. Um, so pretty close to, you know, the end of '81, going into '82, Ron Ron is assigned as the uh, as the basis of the band, um, and the reason you may not hear a lot about him is because there, the next you know, in the next three hundred sixty-five days, his tenure is done. And he's replaced. He walks away and he's replaced promptly. And Metallica doesn't record a major a, an album, you know, yet. They put out, you know, they put out some demos and and uh a couple of the songs that they put out in the demos, like Hit the Lights, um, that Ron's semi-attached to, semi not. Um, I don't I don't think he gets credit for Hit the Lights because I want to say James. I think James plays guitar and and does the bass parts on the on that song on that demo, um, but Ron. So Ron doesn't have uh, he doesn't have anything attached to his name. He's not credited for, you know, any albums. You know, by the time they start recording, um, their first album, Kill 'em All, uh, he's already been re- he's already been replaced by uh, Cliff Burton, uh, but so that first. Uh, that first official lineup for Metallica there in 1982 looks like this. You have James Hetfield on lead vocals, uh, Lars Ulrich on drums, Mr. Dave Mustaine uh on lead guitar and Ron McGovney on bass as we just discussed. And if you're not familiar with Dave Mustaine and why I did that voice uh Dave this is this could be another pod too we could get into with uh guitar lead the two lead guitarists that uh, Metallica's had. Uh, Dave Mustaine's also going to get kicked out of the band before the recording of uh, Kill Em All. It's going to be replaced with current uh, current lead guitarist Kirk Hammett. Uh, But Dave goes on to form uh, another successful thrash, another successful metal band, who's part of of what you would call the big four of thrash. Uh, He's going to form Megadeth. And that's just, he's the lead singer and guitarist of that of that band. And that's kind of his voice. You know? And people that, you know, they're familiar with that voice and one of their most popular songs uh, called uh, Symphony of Destruction. And so fans know that have listened to that song and many others know that's the voice he does. So that's just kind of the voice that we attach uh, to the memory of Dave Mustaine, which Dave's still with us. Love him, still love him. Um, and he found great success you know, great success. He found great success, uh, with Megadeth. Um but we're gonna save Dave, uh, Dave Mustaine's and uh, Metallica's story for another pod one day. Um, if you're interested in that, I, I do implore you to go and look. And we'll 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 have a couple. when we talk about a couple things. We'll probably bring Dave back up here in a in a bit. But we're gonna we're gonna leave his story right there for now. But I do, if you want to hear more about it look it up on YouTube uh, some interesting interesting facts and stuff you may not know and, um, and and if you want to talk about some drama some good drama attached to that story. Um, but one interesting thing about that I was finding about uh, Ron is so he he there if here a few years ago uh, I can't remember exactly what it is but he was uh, he was on the talk is Jericho podcast. Uh, which is a podcast who's hosted by Chris Jericho, former professional wrestler, uh, and also the lead singer of his own band, Fozzy, which he's been doing since nineteen ninety nine. And I mean, when I was a kid, I was watching wrestling, and you know, that's right about the time you know when I'm watching WCW and and the Monday Night Wars are going on. I had that's crazy to think that uh, that that Jericho's been been with Fozzy uh, since that time too. You know, being full time in wrestling and then. You know, a rock and roll, a rock and roll star as well. Um, But when Ron's on this podcast, he talks about he goes into detail a little bit about the relationship. uh, How, you know, what is it like being being that first guy there? And then what's it like to be replaced and what happened? So he's, you know, he he's with Metallica and Metallica, James and and Lars get wind and kind of get recommended by someone to go and check out this other band to check out this bassist, you guys have to check out this bassist. His name's Cliff Burton. You need to go see him perform. Uh, so Cliff is performing at a at a club in in LA, and when they get there, the three of them witness Cliff go on this bass solo. And Ron talks about how even he realized as soon as he saw Cliff's performance. This is, he knows his, his fate is sealed, that he knows that his time in the band is coming to an end because he even admits that man's up there doing things on the bass that I could never do. Uh, and he knows that. And then he looks over at James and, and Lars in and the crowd, and their eyes are, you know, they're starstruck. Their eyes are wide open, their mouths are open, and they're just, they're in love with what they're seeing on stage. And, and if you're not familiar with Cliff and what he can do on bass, Holy shit, the man can absolutely shred on a fucking bass guitar. You know, those if you're not familiar, those strings are those bass guitar strings are thick as hell. Um let alone, you know, doing shredding on a on a on a five-string electric is hard enough, but then to me I can appreciate what he's doing on the bass cuz to me it's just that much harder. Uh and if you go and watch some of the clips on YouTube of him, I mean, watch his his performance on Anesthesia, and it's it's just amazing. And sometimes we'll kind of talk about it a little bit later some of the intros and riffs that Metallica has. You might be surprised; those aren't those aren't Kirk or, or James on uh, lead guitar. It's either Cliff or uh, Jason or Robert on the bass doing those intros. But Ron kind of called his own fate, and he was okay with it. Uh, you know, he took it actually quite well. Uh, according to his interview with Chris Jericho on his podcast, um, excuse me, I'm sorry, he actually felt relieved at, uh knowing that uh, Cliff was the guy that they wanted. Uh, his heart apparently wasn't sold on being in Metallica and and uh, kind of trying to become the band with them. Uh, he was actually he only joined the band as a uh, favored to his good friend James uh, James Hetfield and so it's crazy to me to think that you know he was actually okay with stepping away from Metallica and you know some other factors go into it too he he personality clashes were happening between him and Lars and especially between him and Dave Mustaine uh and so and I want to think I want to say that one of the stories I've heard I think kind of the final straw was you know Ron ended up getting into it with Dave and Dave poured uh Dave ended up pouring beer down his, uh, his the pickups in his guitar, which will, or his bass guitar, which, you know, essentially will, ru- is going to ruin it. And so that, I think that's the last straw. And he decides, you know, fuck this. I'm, I'm done with this. I don't need this. I don't want to do this. I'm, I quit. I'm done with the band. Um, but actually, and, and the cool thing that I love about Metallica is there's actually no animosity between Ron and the band, uh, even to this day. And there's no animosity between him and, there was no animosity between him and Cliff. Uh, He talks about how Cliff was a hell of a guy uh, Was very respectful to him And You know As this shift happens in 1982 Early 1983 um, While the band is on On their first tour in 1984 uh, Ron goes to see them And he's going to go backstage But he doesn't have a backstage pass Well Cliff sees him Recognizes him And Cliff gives him his backstage lanyard And the tour manager's like What the fuck are you doing? And he's like Dude, this guy was, you know, the basis of the band before me. Yeah, he's cool. Come on, come back here. Let's chat. Like that's that's so cool. That just shows you how great down to earth and how fuck of a how fucking great of a guy Cliff Burton was. But so the the, the year's gonna turn from 1982 to 1983 and enter Mr. Cliff Burton, who arguably is one of the greatest bassists of all time and to a lot of the original metallica fans who were there who were old enough to be there when the band formed cliff is their guy he's he's the one that you know that's their favorite bassist that's their favorite uh, metallica bassist and member Uh, but for some of us who were who weren't born until the 90s uh you know growing up with another bassist in the band um, we still acknowledge how good how great he is and is, can't take anything away from me. It's not that he's bad. It's just he's, I grew up with, with their with their uh, third bassist. Uh, but Cliff has undoubtedly uh, probably the best talent on bass guitar that I've ever heard and that I've ever watched and seen. So after after uh, you know James, Lars and, and Ron go and see uh, Cliff perform, uh, Cliff's with a band called Trauma. And uh, apparently James and Lars had asked Cliff to join. Uh, it wasn't an immediate sell. You know, Cliff kind of turned it down. But as things progressed and got worse, the relationship between Ron and some of the other bandmates in uh, Metallica kind of deteriorated. Cliff kind of saw an opportunity to jump ship with Trauma 2. Uh, apparently, you know, Trauma was heading in a d- different direction a different direction that he wanted maybe a little a little bit more commercial than he wanted um uh, so he decides you know yeah maybe maybe i will leave this band and and uh join up metallica but he gives metallica kind of a an ultimatum i guess he he says he'll join on one condition and that's you know metallica james and lars are based out of la uh well clips from uh the san francisco here and he says He'll join if if the band relocates to San Francisco. Uh, and Cliff cites that the atmosphere is just uh, is just different in San Francisco than it is to L.A. L.A. is everything music wise practice comes second to you know all the parties and, and the lifestyle and the atmosphere in San Francisco between music uh, between musicians up there everyone has a better work ethic everyone takes uh, takes things more serious and everyone's really on their grind and really trying to, uh, trying to burst into the, burst onto the scene and, uh, and make it. So the band does, the band does agree. They're like, yeah, fuck it. Let's go. Let's, let's go to San Francisco. And as much as the band loves Cliff and his playing abilities, uh, the band also, you know, the members also click, uh, click with Cliff personally, and he becomes kind of, and Jason Newsted, the, the guy who ends up, uh, uh, taking over his basis after Cliff. Uh, he'll talk about, he talks a little bit about in some interviews how Cliff was kind of like their mentor. He was their guy. Because uh, Cliff, you know, Cliff was, uh, some, uh, he had some education past high school. You know, he went to junior college and taught some of the guys, you know, a little bit about life, political views, and life outside of music. And so he shared that with those guys and vice versa. So as he would share life experience and and some culture to to other members of the band, they're also sharing uh, other musical interests uh, and influences to Cliff, which one being, you know, Cliff wasn't too familiar with the band Motorhead, which, and then Motorhead and, you know, Lemmy uh, become some of the biggest influences in, in the way Cliff plays. And so there's a lot of give and take between Cliff and then the rest of the band. And that's why the relationship is so good. Uh, not only is he one of the best talents on bass guitar, but he's a good guy, and he's a he's a perfect fit for the band, and he's got work ethic, and he, and a lot of the band, the band members talk about you know Cliff, Cliff is unapologetically himself. He doesn't give a fuck. You know, like people would give him shit. Even James, I think, would give him shit about uh, him wearing bell bottom jeans, and his response is, "Fuck you, man. That's what that's just what I wear," and. You know when you got an attitude like that and you have a work ethic um, like his and they're trying to make it, I mean it, it really it's it's only a recipe for success. That's the type of person that's not going to be denied and it's obviously what happened. I mean the band wasn't denied and they put out some revolutionary music. So the and the band ends up signing with uh, with uh, an, another label uh, Meg, it's called Mega Force Records. And they travel all the way across the country to uh, Rochester, New York. So from San Francisco to New York. I mean, literally from coast to coast to go and record uh, their first album, Kill em All, which wasn't actually, and wasn't named Kill 'Em All at first. It was originally called Metal Up Your Ass. Uh, <laughs> and Cliff, acc- uh, Kirk Hammett actually tells how Cliff kind of accidentally named the, named the album. So it was gonna be called "Middle Up Your Ass," but some of the uh, the higher ups of the label, you know, kind of were talking about like, you know, with with a name like that and the graphic. I think the graphic was gonna, or the artwork was gonna be uh, a toilet seat with a with a knife coming out of it. Um, the they were telling them, you know, it might be hard for you guys to get record sales, airtime on the radio with a name like that and artwork like that for sure. And cliff you know like we just talked about with his with his attitude you know well, fuck it just kill them all and they i guess when he, once he said that everyone was like whoa that just it sounds kind of it's kind of uh uh just kind of clicks and so there kill them all was born and then the artwork um features uh not so much a <laughs> a uh, knife coming out of the toilet to stab you up the ass but it's a hand and a, and a, and a bloody hammer. Um, I mean, it, it it's it screams metal. It screams metal music, but it's just, it's a little bit more, obviously it's a little bit more presentable for like a record shop, even though it's a little, for at the time, like it's a little more racy, but not as much as a knife uh, up the ass, which I would love to stick a knife up that uh, car's ass who just drove by my house. telling you. That's the goal, is to get this damn studio slash show out of this fucking house by the highway so that I could stop hearing that shit. Okay, so they start recording, and then in 1983, uh, the album's released, and what a revolutionary album. Uh, this album is, is considered one of the most earliest and is a pioneer to the subgenre, the sub-genre of metal, thrash metal. Uh, and we've kind of touched on that already, how it opened the doors for other acts, you know. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Big Four. Uh, so the Big Four is going to include bands Metallica, Anthrax, Slayer, and Megadeth led by frontman, ex-lead guitarist of Metallica, Dave Mustaine, and, and you know, those, those are the Big Four, that's what they call the Big Four, and... They they actually do a lot of touring together and they and um, it's crazy with with kind of the history that Dave and Metallica had you know and almost how Megadeth and Metallica competed with each other it's almost as if each other lift each band lifted the other up um, you know big fans of Dave Mustaine uh, that also were, were Metallica fans that's what kind of Boost their love for the for the band and kind of, sometimes a lot of people shit all over Metallica, James and Lars for how they treated Dave and they go on to love Megadeth even more. It's it's kind of a crazy relationship. It, it's it's like give and take too. You know, as much as one takes away from the other, it also gives to it too, and that could be unintentional. Uh, of course, I I mean I don't really know. I I wasn't back. Backstage with all of them all the times because I wasn't alive and of course I wasn't on the scene. But it's what it that's what it feels like and it's kind of what you get when you uh, kind of research this inf- information a little bit. But then from those from those bands we get you know inf- they influence a lot of you know up and coming other acts that we get uh, in the eighties going into the nineties and then some of the metal today and some of the other rock music that we get. Uh, so one thing that. One thing about Cliff Burton in, that we've already kind of touched on was, of course, I wasn't, you know, being born in 94, wasn't alive during the Cliff era. Uh, so I had to learn about Cliff through watching the Internet, uh, anything that uh, I watched. You know, everyone knows already that i spent a lot of time, you know, with with my Uncle Paul listening to a lot of, you know, metal music, rock music, watching old tapes. And so I learned a lot by watching old old videos, and listening to tracks uh, by Cliff, especially, you know, from these first three albums. And one, just a few of the things that, that I would tell you guys to check out would be uh, some of these moments here where that really showcase Cliff's presence, skills, and influence that he has. Uh, one, I mean, you can find it on YouTube, and, and some of you guys probably have already watched this, but if you haven't, uh, I, I would... I would recommend you watch uh, the clip of uh, the band playing on, playing the uh, festival called Day on the Green in 85. Um, So, and then of course, watch, specifically watch uh, when they play for whom the bell tolls. Um, So it starts off, you know, they're at the Oakland Coliseum and, uh, you know, James is introducing what song they're going to play. And he's, you know, it's like, he's, telling everyone you know it starts off with our with our buddy cliff here on bass guitar and uh you know cliff goes on with that uh, with that for whom the bell tolls entrance you know and, and so when i was a kid when i was growing up you know it took me a long time to realize that that's not that's not the electric guitar you know your five string that that's playing that intro that's cliff on his bass and to me you know who's da- who's kind of dabbled in playing guitar a little bit by no means am i proficient you know i'm uh i have i could i can play if i sit down and study for 3 or 4 hours but you know my skills is not that great uh but it, you know so it's not it's not particularly easy to play that that part on a five string and then to, to for me to see him to shred and play it on a four string bass guitar with those Thick ass strings is insane, and then the use of that wall pedal, um, and then to top it off, while he's doing all that, you know, Cliff, you know, he's long. They all have long hair. It is insane. He is playing, and he's headbanging, and there's no way that he can see his fingers. I mean, his hair is going everywhere, and so it that just shows how talented he is. He he can remember where every string and every fret is on that damn neck and it's hitting every note, and there's, and he's just, and it's, it's insane, you know, if you guys are into metal music, or if you're just curious about it, like who who's Cliff Burton, and why is he so great, Day on the Green in 85, watch For Whom the Bell Tolls, fucking insane, and I can't, I can't stress it enough, and uh, I was actually watching it last night, and <laughs> I'm pretty sure, so we put, we put the kid down, and and I was watching in the living room I was casting uh, casting the video from YouTube and so I I think I had the TV a little bit too loud well the kid wouldn't go back go to sleep immediately I, I kept hearing him kind of grunting and I kind of put two and two together like he probably wants to rock he probably wants to jam, probably uh, realizes what's playing and I was like I gotta turn this down and on the album Kill Em All I've already touched on this song Anesthesia uh, also known as Pulling Teeth Uh once you, you can watch the video of him playing it from the 80s when they're playing at a small show. Um, but if you just listen to the song, if you pull it up on, like, Apple or Spotify, um, the bass solo that starts it is just... It's insane, you know? No, 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 no. And then it goes up a little. No, 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 no. And Cliff, I mean, for... I want to say the entire song is, like, a, it's just one big bass solo. Um, you know, for four minutes but and it's just insane and then you watch it on you watch it on tv or like youtube or something and it's it's the mix it's the, the style the energy the head banging the hair the accuracy i mean this man this man is was is literally you know like the epitome of what a bass guitar or even just a musical god from what he could do and then going back to his to Cliff's style, so if you look at some, you know, you Google Cliff Burton, you'll see some of the pictures on there. He's got this top hat, and immediately when you see him, if you're ever if you're familiar with Leonard Skinner, you're like, oh man, he looks, you know, he looks like uh, Ronnie Van Zandt, uh, you know, and kind of looks Leonard Skinner-ish. Well, that's because he was heavily influenced by Leonard Skinner. And Dave Mustaine does this, does this interview on uh, on Sirius XM, and he talks about how you know him and Cliff. We're talking about how, how much he loves uh, Leonard Skinner, and you know Dave. Dave wrote a lot of the guitar work for and riffs for you know a lot of the songs on Kill 'Em All. Because remember he was, he was let go. and kicked out of the band right before they started recording. So they had all this stuff written already, and that's what That's what causes a lot of the animosity between Kirk and Dave. But like I said, we're gonna we'll get into that sometime later. We just need to know that Dave Mustaine. Wrote and was familiar With the guitar tracks and riffs That were going to be used on Kill 'Em All And he knew that uh, Cliff was a big Leonard Skynyrd fan and was influenced by them So in the song The Four Horsemen which is Arguably I think The Four Horsemen Is my favorite Metallica song I love that song I love the way It starts heavy um, And then it. One of the most intriguing things is Dave is talking In this interview he's talking about how Uh, originally Lars is telling him, you know, in his damn accent, you know, we really got to slow this song down, man. We got to slow it down. And so Dave kind of knowing that, uh, knowing that Cliff is this big Skynyrd fan, you know, the, the riff to, you know, Sweet Home Alabama. Well, the Four Horsemen's riff is very similar to that already. And it's, do, 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 it just takes out that no And so there is Cliff Burton's love for Leonard Skynyrd allowed to influence one of the most popular Metallica songs of all time. And it was so pivotal pivotal to, to their success at this time. Because remember, this is their debut album. And the success that they found with this album helped them kind of uh, build a following, which would lead to their... You know they're pushed. You know their ultimate success and pushed the mainstream with the following albums, leading all the way up to the Black Album in '91, which really bolstered them to the top. But that's always been funny to me. You know you don't think when you think of Metallica, Leonard Skinner as good as 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 legendary of a rock band as they are. You know they're kind of bluesy, little southern, uh, little southern rock and roll type. You wouldn't put either of those together, and you wouldn't think that one influenced the other. And it's just so crazy that. You know sweet home alabama uh has a small influence or a big influence influence in general uh for that the four horsemen song so Kill em All, you know finds some success in 83 well then they follow it up in 84 with ride the lightning and out who doesn't know ride the lightning i mean everyone you see you don't even have to see metallica you see the artwork you don't even have to see the metallica sign you just know, like, hey, that's a Metallica album. And then what's followed up with that in 1986, Master of Puppets. And now especially, everybody fucking knows Master of Puppets. Not only is it one of the most influential albums. I mean, Rolling Stone lists it at number two, the greatest metal album of all time, easily. I mean, you ask, it just depends on who you ask. That's number one. Uh, but with the most with the success of Stranger Things volume 2 last year um and Master of Puppets being in there during the scene when uh when uh, uh Eddie Eddie and uh what's that little fucker's name uh they're they're getting attacked by the little Demobats and uh Eddie's playing the uh you know Master of Puppets and he starts off with the Chrissy, this is for you that I mean that shit that shit was awesome. If you're if you're a fan of Stranger Things and you weren't a big Metallica fan, I mean, I'd love to know what your reaction was to that. How awesome did you think that was? And I you guys you guys kinda know my stance on Stranger Things, I think. You know, how I was so late to the party and I wish if there's if there's a few things in this life that I wish I could redo, I wish that I could go back to the first time that I saw that scene and I wish I didn't know that it was coming. I wish that it would have totally blindsided me because I was I remember me and Danny were watching it like a, it was in the middle of the afternoon we were doing one of those pizza and bed type deals you know I think someone was babysitting the kid and we were watching it and I just we were both like just starstruck just turn we were like fucking just headbanging our hands are in the air we got the horns up <laughs> I just wish we I could have experienced that for the first time without prior knowledge that that was going to be in there but so some of the work other work that he you know. That he has with those first three albums, uh, you know the songs like Orion on uh, on Master of Puppets uh, that that bass intro just comes in so strong. Uh, uh, his work on songs like Creeping Death, the way his you know his innovative playing, you know everyone if you hear the song Creeping Death, you know it starts heavy with the guitar, you know, and they're and it's fast, you know. Doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo, and you know you have kind of got to be savvy if you're a, if you're a bass player your 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 lines and your riffs have to they can't overpower the bass I mean the guitar they have to complement it well it's it's so crazy Cliff had this just had this innovative way to think his riffs not only complemented complemented the the guitar tracks but I mean it also stand stood out at the same time so you could appreciate his work but it also put the guitar and the vocals and just the rest of the song on a pedestal too. It's it's it, it's I can't explain how difficult it is to do that. Um, and we find that out kind of a little bit later when we get talking about Jason Newstead about what happens with his bass track on uh on Injustice for All. But so Cliff, you know, in the three years with with Metallica, you know, from eighty three to eighty six, he's got his hands, his fingerprints all over three of the most of the best uh metallic uh, of the best metal albums of all time i mean all three of the first three albums are rolling stone uh lists them in the top 40 of all metal albums of all time and so that just shows you the success that cliff brought to the table along with the other bandmates. you know it's not just cliff but his influence is, is heavy um on that success too and so if you're not familiar with the story of Metallica and what happened you might be asking well if 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 this man is so legendary and if he's the greatest bassist of all time why isn't he still with Metallica what happened where where is he well it's the age-old tale folks the good die young uh the band is touring in Europe uh in in the fall uh late summer and fall of uh, 1986 you know they're following up the uh the release of Master of Puppets and they're on tour well, the band is, you know, this is the 80s, you know, it's not the most, so they're not still not living the most lavish of lifestyles, and so they're traveling on their tour bus, and, you know, it's already cold, and, and snow's on the ground, and they're in Sweden, and somewhere around, it's after midnight, uh, the tour bus hits, uh, hits black ice, and... Cliff is ejected the the bus starts uh, rolling and flipping Cliff is ejected from the bus and the bus rolls over him and, and kills him and Kirk Hammett does a, in an interview he's talking about how him and Cliff the night before or something were talking about we're kind of like going back and forth on sleeping arrangements and Cliff ended up taking Kirk's bunk and Kirk ended up sleeping there at the front of the bus. And had, had roles been reversed, you know, Kirk would have been the one to be killed and not Cliff. And now everyone wishes that it could have been none of them, but it's just, it's it's that it's that like I said earlier, it's the age old tale of you know the good die young. Another, another uh, situation where someone dies too soon, and Cliff Burton couldn't, uh, probably deserves. Uh, his own episode on my gone too soon thing my gone too soon series i mean because it's i mean he was around for three years had all this success you just can't imagine you know where would metallica be today if if that accident happened or if clift would have lived uh through that accident because you know the rest of the i don't think anyone else on the crew uh died that night uh i know there was a few injuries and then none of the other members of uh, band members died And you just, you have to always wonder, you know, where would the band be had Cliff not died? And it's so crazy, even to this day, you know, uh, on the album Hardwired to Self-Destruct, it was released in 2017, either 16 or 17. I think it was 17 because that's when I went to go, I was on their Hardwired tour, or I went to go watch their Hardwired tour at A&T Stadium uh, in June of 2017. Uh, on that on that album, there's a there's some live performances, and when they do "Fade to Black," you know the guitar starts off, you know, with that little intro solo, and then right when you know Lars comes in with the drums, the poof, poof, you know James says for Cliff, and then it goes right into that the rest of the intro that leads to the beginning of that first of uh, that first verse, and so and then every year if you follow Metallica on. Uh, On social media, you know, they're always every anniversary they post about Cliff and and even Robert, the current uh, the current basis, you know, he has stories about uh, Cliff and how how influenced he is, you know, from him. And it's just so crazy. You know, guys, the next, you know, the next two bases after uh, After Cliff passes away you know i mean these guys are huge fans of the band you know they're heavily influenced they loved watching cliff they loved watching the rest of the band and it's just so crazy how like put yourself in those guys positions like what's it like to be a huge fan of this band you you just went from working you know your normal eight to five or whatever the fuck job you have to now you're on tour with the band that you love your favorite band and now you're in the spot of this legendary bass player you know that's just that's that's something I can't wrap my mind around. And could I rise up to that occasion? I, I have no idea. And that's that's what the next two guys did. So Cliff passes away in in September of nineteen eighty six, and the band, the band doesn't take any time to mourn because they you know they feel like that that's a mistake to do. You know they don't want to, they don't want to stop and then all of a sudden lose their relevancy. And you know for a couple of reasons, you know they they push forward immediately you know one like we just said you know they they've got all this steam they don't, they want to keep pushing forward i think that's what cliff would want them to do and then second you know these are young men these are you know early to mid 20s uh men and they they don't and they've got to uh, some issues with with drinking and 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 some drugs there i mean it's kind of like the the age old tale of you know rock and rollers but they don't know how to handle this tragedy they don't know how to handle their emotions they don't know how to deal with it and so they they push forward, which immediately, which really it it does it's not it's not detrimental to them, but then at the same time it it sets a shaky foundation for the second the second phase of Metallica, um, which does eventually fall. But Metallica just it's like a cat; they land on their feet and they, they continue, because as you know, they're like I said earlier, you know they're still. They're still active. A new album um, and a World War Tour is coming. A new album was just released, you know, a week or two ago. Um, but within a month of, of Cliff's passing, you know, they lay him to rest. Well, then they have these auditions. Um, they have these auditions to who's going to who's going to be the next bassist. And in rock's, you know, Jason Newstead and um, within a month, he's dubbed the he's dubbed the cliff's replacement and it's it's actually cliff's mom who tells him who comes into the to the audition because the band had uh, had asked cliff's parents for their blessing to continue and to replace find a replacement for cliff and it's cliff's mom that hugs Jason and tells him you're the one you know you're the one that we that they're going to pick and you know you you're going to do a great job and so that's just kind of a surreal moment for for Jason and and I kind of got what I said like when I just said that uh, imagine yourself working your eight to five and then all of a sudden a couple weeks later you're on tour with Metallica. Well, that's what Jason says. Uh, you know, Jason was working in, in the heat in Tucson just a matter of weeks before he's on tour touring Japan uh, with Metallica. And it, it's just like his whole world not got flipped upside down, I guess got flipped downside up. Uh, it's And so it's just so crazy how fast it, it changed. Um, but Jason... So Jason becomes their their technically really their third bassist, you know, because we have to. We want to give credit to Ron, you know, he was he was Metallica's first, um, but Jason comes in, and so Jason's tenure lasts from nineteen eighty six until two thousand and one. So you know, four, 15 years, and it this is where I don't want people to mistake what I'm saying. Jason is my favorite bassist of. Uh, that Metallica's had because he was the one that I first saw, you know. You know, I was six years old when he decided to leave. I was so familiar with all of his work when I would see Metallica being a little, little kid, you know, four or five years old. It was Jason who I saw. And, and so that was just my favorite. I'm not saying that he's better than Cliff. I'm not saying Cliff's better than Jason. I'm not saying... Robert's not good. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that from the time it just has to do with the timing of, of the band and me being born. That's why Jason is my favorite. And Cliff could be probably is the best. I don't know. It's just so I'm not ranking who's the best. I'm I'm telling who's my favorite. And I, I don't wanna rank who's the best because like I said, all three of these guys bring something to the table, uh something different that stands out. Um within themselves in the band. Um, and it's, I'd hate to have to score, <laughs> to score the fight between, uh, to, to dub the winner between the three. I tell you that. Uh, but Jason, he rises to the occasion and you would think like, okay, who's who's going to be this person? It's going to be impossible to live in the shadow of Cliff Burton, the legendary Cliff Burton. But Jason rises to the occasion and Steps out of the shadow and carves his rightful place in the band's history and legacy, and carves his place in rock and roll and metal history as well, not just within the confines of Metallica. And you've got to give, and you've got to give Jason credit. I mean, here this band is, you know, in the wake of this tragedy, this band could have crumbled, really could have crumbled, and Jason steps in, and some people say that he quote unquote saved the band. Um, he steps in, and he. He shows him what he's got and he's willing to be there he steps up and he he deals with all the shit from their uh, you know from what they're dealing with you know these guys like he talked jason talks about when he goes to audition by the time it's his turn you know james is you know somewhere between 10 and 16 beers deep you know they're hammered and he just talks about like holy fuck they're they're still self-medicating they're they're in bad shape I, I, I have to be on my shit, okay? I got, I got to make sure that my shit's tight and that I'm good to go and then I can show these guys that that I can be their guy. And it's crazy. So, you know, when we talked about Cliff's death, it happened in the middle of a European tour. Well, what happens? They, they keep those tour dates. They keep the rest of the dates and Jason fills in immediately and he finishes the tour with Metallica. And imagine imagine you know so when these tickets go on sale you're going to go see the you're going to go see this lineup right cliff james kirk lars cliff dies and now all of a sudden okay who's this other guy i, I, I didn't pay to see who jason Newsted. i didn't pay for that well he goes out there and absolutely rocks it and he's almost immediately well received by the fans because of his talent and his presence on stage so that's where he You know, Jason gets some of. Jason stands up and gets some credit for. He, he's he's the guy. He's the guy that the band can depend on immediately, and and the first few years and it's kind. It's starting to be more documented as the years go on. Starting to be more and more documented of how the band treated treated uh, Jason in those first few years, and I want to acknowledge that that Jason, you know, talks about how badly hazed he was by the band, and I want to acknowledge that right now, but I want to come back to it in a minute. First, I want to talk a little bit more about after he he joins, he finishes up that, that tour, and then they start prepping for, you know, 1988's uh, Injustice for All album. And one of the funny things about Injustice for All, so last year when I was when all the thoughts are coming together about this podcast and I was putting an idea together for him. Hey, I want to do a podcast. I was, I was still working on my old job and my buddy, Matt, you know, we, he's a huge Metallica fan. And I love it. I used to love going to his office and he's got these two pictures. Um, and they're like, uh, like panel, pic- I don't know how to put it. There's like multiple pictures together to make, to make the big picture. And you know, one of them is, uh, is james and is on stage and he's singing and then another one, one is a picture of his you know him playing the guitar uh so me and matt talk a lot about talk a lot about metallica and you know matt's a huge my buddy matt's a huge huge jason newstead fan not just in metallica but his you know in solo stuff too so shout out to matt for being such a such a badass uh, such a badass metallica f- uh, fan and friend And uh, being there to talk, uh, talk some good music with me when we were ready to jump off that building. Uh, But so getting back to that, me and Matt had talked about, you know, I was giving him the idea about doing a podcast, and you know, we were going back and forth if, do we want to do this thing together? Are we kidding? Is this a joke? And so I had started coming up with ideas, and I kind of hand drew a shitty logo. And when I was coming up for names, like, well, what would I call this thing? and you know we still I still didn't know what was I going to talk about or what the topic's going to be but the name that I came up with at the time was uh, a playoff of this album injustice for all it was and podcast for all and it had like a little I drew a little microphone and then in the back I had the Metallica M of course I couldn't use that because I don't have the rights to that and I still don't know if I could use the if I could use the name and podcast for all or if that would get me in trouble but i really liked it but the one of the reasons i decided not to do it is because i feel like if i use that name it would have to be a metallica specific podcast and while i love them they're one of my favorite bands and i know a lot about them it's just i didn't want to do a strictly just metallica podcast so i didn't want to throw out i didn't want to throw out some mixed signals out there you know people who would eventually find this podcast. Oh, it's a Metallica podcast. And they listen to the first eight episodes, and they're like, he hasn't fucking mentioned Metallica once. Fuck this show. Fuck this guy. He's fucking got clickbait. <laughs> um, but so here 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 we go with the bands getting ready to release uh Injustice for All. And as successful as it is, there's still so much debate about it today, and there's still so much to go back and forth about it. There's re-edits, remixes of the album. And we'll get to why that is too here in just one second. Um, but we can't we have to acknowledge how, how successful and and uh popular this album is. This album I mean, so Jason Newstead's first album, you know, uh Metallica does release uh, a a cover album uh, in nineteen eighty seven, and that showcases you know Jason on bass for the first time. But this is the first. This is gonna be the first album that he's on, that he's got some influence on, and the orig- new original songs uh, are gonna be played by him. And so, like I said earlier, the the album finds success. I mean, hell, it goes plat. It certified platinum eight fucking times, eight times. That's 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 insane. I mean, it makes up. Like I said. It becomes one of uh, one of the greatest metal albums of all time, and I mean, we get one on this on this on this uh, album alone. I mean, we get one of the most popular metal songs, and if you grew up somewhere around the age like me, you know, if, if you're around my age, give or take ten years on the other side of the spectrum, you know, twenty nine to forty. I mean, you've probably played Guitar Hero, and you remember Guitar Hero three. The last song that you play before we play, you know, do the Fire and Flames by Dragon Force at the end, is one by Metallica, and you remember how fucking crazy and how hard that was. I mean, my I just thinking about it, it makes my fingers hurt, and I can't imagine actually playing it in real life. Um, but so imagine, Jason is he. He earns his place in the band, and then immediately, he puts out. He helps put out one of the most successful and popular uh, metal albums of all time, with anthems on there. Uh, not just not just filler songs, but I mean, there are anthems on there. I mean, songs that we beg to hear when we pay for Metallica, and then even though we talk about the hazing. And sometimes that could, that could kind of lead does The band even respect me, or is it just what's going on? Whatever, blah blah blah. Not only that, but on my on personally, one of my favorite songs on the album is "Blackened." It's Jason's riff that he wrote. That he tells the guys, "Hey, I've been working on this riff. Uh, here, let me play it for you. What do you think?" And they tell him, "Dude, that your riff is cool enough that you can you can open." our newest album with that like how fucking awesome of a nod is that okay they accept it's almost like a feeling of like, okay i've i kind of got my place here you know we're i'm, I'm okay these guys think about it they this is their baby they're creative geniuses this is you know they're in charge of putting of the creative process and they're letting me use my riff to not only open not just open up a song but open up the album I mean, it takes takes some pride to to do that and allow. Let me take a step back and let the new guy do that. it's, it's not me because we all know ego plays plays a role in in running a band, especially back back in the day. I mean, even today. Um, but for the for the for James and Lars and Kirk to kind of put the ego aside and, and tell J- and tell Jason, his his riff is good enough to open the album. Does does help uh, does help go ahead and say that Jason is, uh, has earned his place in the band. Uh, And speaking of Blackened, so me and me and Danny really love that song. And uh, when we went to go see Metallica in uh, February last year, we were she was a little disappointed that uh, they didn't play Blackened. And uh, I was kind of hoping they would. But you know, it is what it is. That's what happens when you uh, when you go to live shows, like when we saw we saw Slipknot in in, uh, September last year. And one of our favorite songs is uh, Dev- The Devil and I. And when, we're, when we get to the venue, you know, we're walking around and they have music playing and they're playing Devil and I. And I want to say on the set, I was looking at the set list for the previous shows, the couple guys before, The Devil and I's on there. Well, they never played it at our show, which is fine because they played the rest of the songs that they played were fucking awesome. Great show. Slipknot, I think Metallica is the better band, but as far as the live show goes, man, Slipknot really, really puts up a run for the gives it Metallica a run for the money as far as a live performance goes. That was an interactive, uh just a badass show. Loved it. Can't can't recommend that enough. And I think it's so crazy, like uh my parents don't understand, you know, a lot you know, they have their own taste in music. They don't kinda understand, you know, why I love the music that I love. And so I know that and some of my friends too, they don't love heavy music. And so I can imagine what they think when they see that I go to these shows, especially Danny. Danny, my my wife, who's not even five foot tall, she's a sweet little thing. That, that that little that little gentle voice. You wouldn't believe that's what she loves. And so we go to these shows and you think, you know, <laughs> people think that like it's like this satanic show, and it's really not. I mean, it's it's even though we're rocking out, it's kind of almost uh I don't want to say gentle, but it's it's not as bad as you would think it would be. We're not we're not doing any rituals, sacrificing any goats, or uh, getting any tattoos, or or demons are being released, or anything like that. So, as popular as as Injustice for All is, there is a major flaw, and this is what causes debate uh, to this day about the about the album. So Jason joins the album comes out. And when you, if you listen to it, especially compared to the previous three, where's the fucking bass? Where did it go? It's non-existent. Well, Jason's bass lines, uh, some of the mix, uh, some of the editors, they talk about how Jason's Jason's riffs and lines were just so they were awesome. They were revolutionary, just like Cliffs. But why weren't they on the fucking album? What what happened? Well. And this is where it can go either way. I think it's kind of the bullshit answer. A lot, what you'll find when you research is, you know, well, it has to do with the, you know, the tracks and the frequencies. You know, Jason's, the way, the way he was, he was playing it really didn't. His bass didn't complement James's guitar. It kind of fought for the sound on the track. So they were competing. It's like Jason's bass sound was competing and fighting against James's guitar. And so they talk about how they have to turn turn his uh turn his bass parts down. Um, pretty much all the way down. And Jason talks about how he was upset by this, you know, like, I mean he put in all this work and he he knew what he did was, was good, but and that's just how good of a team player he was. Like, okay, it's that's their you know, I may not like it, but that's that's what they want. They they call the shots. All right, do it. Let's let's just do it. You know, it hurts a little bit, but fuck it. Whatever's best for the band. Um, there's this interview that uh, Steve Thompson, who helped mix the album, does for Loudwire on YouTube, and he talks about he gives specifics about what happened. You know, and what he was told when he was mixing the album. You know, Lars comes in and tells him to turn the bass all the way down, and he's like, "What? What? What?" And, you know, when the final uh, when, when the final mix is done, and he's listening to it. He's just like, God, this how can you turn this down? Doesn't it sound like crap and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't, I guess, not sound like crap, but it's just like it could be so much better. And I, and I don't really like this. But he has to he talks about how well, I, it's not my album. Ultimately, he has to do with what the band wants. And so then we get back to the whole debate of or the whole school of thought about. Jason being um, Hazed by the band and there's still some debate about how was this a way to silence Jason? So remember the band never took the time to grieve for for Cliff And I'm not making excuses for anybody here This is just all the stuff that you're gonna find when you when you research this um, it's almost as if the band was angry at Jason, but Jason didn't do anything. He didn't put the black ice there. Jason didn't cause the death. But when you don't deal with the trauma, when you don't deal with your emotions, that's what happens. You unintentionally sometimes put the blame on somebody for some tragic event. And that and that's still debated. Is Is that what happened here? Is that why you treated Jason so badly during those first years? Is that why you turned his base down on Injustice for All? And I, you know you got to draw your own conclusions on that and with with interviews that have come out over the last few years you know James and and Lars talk about how well now they talk about how well now we know why we treated Jason the way we did or why Jason was the way he was or you know why why things happened at the beginning you know and now that you know The band has matured and years have gone by, they can understand that, well, yeah, we didn't deal with Cliff the way we should have dealt with. We didn't take any time off, and therefore mistakes could have been made. Uh, So there's, if you look all this stuff up, there's a huge debate on why this happened. And it's easy for people in comment sections to be like, oh, James and Lawrence are so full of shit, and they're just covering up for how shitty they were and how shitty they treated Jason. Um, That just... That may not that may be the case. It may not be the case. I don't know. As someone who just loves the band, you have to hold your heroes accountable, but is I wasn't there. I, I don't know. I'm I'm going off stuff that I'm finding, but it does sound like maybe there was some issues with the band and they're upset that this guy's not Cliff. He's not playing what Cliff would play. Turn his ass down. That could be the case. All I know, all I know is is that there's no base on Injustice for All. And when when you finally get to see Jason's uh, talent and to showcase what he can do, there should be some bass on there. And if you look it up on YouTube, uh, there's been some people who have remixed the album and added the bass to uh, to Injustice for All. And it does, it sounds pretty fucking badass. And I, I gotta say, I, I think I prefer it with the bass. It just, it just doesn't sound right. Now, it's not St. Anger 2003 Metallica bad at all obviously Injustice for All's not bad at all but it's so much better with the bass and you just have to ask yourself why 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 is there no bass why did you choose to turn it down so we find we get past all of the you know that first tour that he finished up we get past Injustice for All um we we start get past the hazing part in those first few years and Jason you find out Jason really takes it on the chin you know he's if he's sick, he's playing shows. He's going out and doing a good job. And he's he's whatever the band needs. He's the unsung hero. And there's a lot of videos that... And when you watch his performances on these videos, they show that he kind of becomes the heart and soul of the band on stage. And he really does because his presence is so fucking... It's so awesome. Like when there's a, there's a video... And I've actually posted a TikTok using this video. Or using this audio. When they're singing Creeping Death... And uh you know James is is singing the uh, the rest of the what part of the song is that the bridge or it's like the outro or something well anyways, Creeping Death there's a part when everyone starts chanting die, 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 and if you've never been a part of you know twenty thousand plus chanting die at a Metallica concert you are missing out on that <laughs> I still get chills when I think about it, uh, but Jason he's do he's leading the die chants and he's. And he's just up there, he's feeling it, and he's, oh, die, die, motherfucker, die. And it's, and, and he loves it. We, you know, we love it. The crowd loves it. Fans love it. I mean, if I was at the show and they were doing it like that, I would have lost my damn mind. So whatever mistakes were made with the base and on Justice for All, whatever sins were committed, it's almost as if everything was forgiven and all things were made right. With a debut of Metallica's nineteen ninety one album, self titled Metallica, but as us Metallica fans dub it, the Black Album. This is the album where we get more of our commercial songs that everybody knows, um, and just boosted, boosted the band to popularity. I mean, I, this album debuts at number one on uh, on Billboard's charts, which for a metal band, metal. To debut at number one, that that's a big thing because majority of the people, you know, pop and hip hop and all that stuff, especially in the nineties, um, that and even today, that's what's popular. Rock music usually always takes second to to the rest of this lighter music because not a lot of people like that. That heavy bass, heavy drums, heavy everything. You know, all that distorted sound. It takes a weird psycho fucking shit show person like me to love it. Um, but so it, it debuts at number one and, you know, we get songs like Enter Sandman, Sad But True, uh, the first part of uh, The Unforgiven, which I think we're up to four parts now uh, since then. Uh, uh, Nothing Else Matters, which wildly popular, I mean, because it's, you know, while it's got that distorted guitar, it's it's got that more slow and calming, you know, intro on the acoustic guitar. But it really kicks in with the chorus and, the, and you know, James's vocals you know never care for what they know um but a couple grammys i think come out of the black album with best metal performances um i'm pretty certain um but as you know this this album popular wildly successful um and not only that but it's the bass is more prominent and they do write they do write by jason and he has his parts and he's a part of He's, he's a part of the uh, of the process of getting this music out there, and once again, you know, allowing him to lead a song, open up a song, uh, like songs like uh, my friend of misery and the god that failed. You know his bass lines that that kind of start start those songs. Um, it's another nod to the band recognizing you know his talent and that he can make he can write stuff that's good enough to open our albums or open up our songs. And it's uh it's good to see that the band, you know, did right by Jason and let him have his creative outlet within the band and gave him his op his opportunity to showcase his talent. And so I was you know, I was showing Danny last night and a couple of days prior, you know, some of my favorite performances by uh you know, by Metallica, and a lot of them include, you know, with Jason, Jason on stage, you know, I'm not, like I said, I can't, I'm not taking anything away from Cliff, I still love what he does, but Jason was just the one that I grew up with, that's the one I saw all the time, but so, uh, one of the most popular shows that Metallica plays is when they play in Moscow, and they play in front of, they play on this airfield, and there's fucking, uh, I, I think, I, I think it's accurate to say there's almost a hundred thousand people there. And, um, you know, Jason, Jason's out there and he's headbanging. And if you ever watch his his live performances, I mean, he really the physicality of performing for Metallica, we really don't know until you do it. And we'll get into that here in just a second, too. But I mean, he's out there and he's headbanging his head. His hair is going everywhere. He's running around. And for me, you know, like I said, I've dabbled in playing guitar a little bit. I could sit sit still and play decently or shit shittily uh shitty i can't imagine running around in circles throwing my head around and uh and flipping my hair all over the place and being able to play every note and sing and not be out of breath my fat ass would be out uh and he's just he has this presence on stage and he it's you know he's like the quite literally the heart and soul of the band out there when you watch these performances uh, there's another performance that I really like that I think you guys should check out. It's uh, They're in Donington. There's two more performances. They're in Donington and uh, both of them, you know, Moscow and then uh, in Donington, both when they're uh, performing For Whom the Bill Tolls. But uh, then again, at Wembley Stadium in 1992, they when they uh, open up with uh, Inter Sandman, you know, James is out there, and he's just kind of calmly, you know, just assessing the crowd. And he starts with the... And then, you know, Lars starts on the... Bringing in the rest of the of Kirk's guitar. Then here comes Jason, and he's, he's right at the front of the stage. And then he starts, like, running around in a circle. He's playing, and, and you know, wires are everywhere. He doesn't fall. He knows where he's at, and, and he's not missing a beat. And it's just fucking insane. You just feel the energy. You can... Even today, I mean, this video is thirty years, thirty-one years old, or this performance is thirty-one years old. And you can just, you can feel the energy in it just watching it. You're like, yeah, fuck yeah. So for the next, you know, for the next ten years after after the uh, Black album's released, he tours with, uh, he continues to tour worldwide with uh, with Metallica. Tours the world multiple times, performs over a thousand shows. Uh, and then with the popularity and push to mainstream of the Black Album, now countries that wouldn't allow Metallica in front of their kids are now calling and, and saying, "Come perform in our country, blah blah blah." Going places that he's never you know dreamed about being performing with the band that he loves and guys that he had admired and and were a fan of. And oh my gosh! Before we move too far from the Black Album, one thing I have to talk to you guys about is. You know, if you're on TikTok at all, you'll, you've will probably heard these sounds. You know, people use sounds for anything now. But, I mean, so even though we're talking about the bass, let's kind of talk about James for a second. Uh, so we know James is pretty much known for throughout almost all the Metallica albums, you know. He'll sing his part that yeah, yeah, ooh, yeah, 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 it's, it's always It's always something like that. And so I think we, you can't talk about Metallica without acknowledging that part at least. And me, I've never, I can't say that. I can't just say it's because of my ADHD. I've never, I've never been tested for But I know I've got some kind of attention span, something. Something's wrong with it. Because I have these random outbursts. And, and so I work with a couple cool guys uh, at my current job right now. And so musically, we kind of align the same way. And so we'll be, we'll cross each other's paths and, you know, it's not quiet, people can hear us and we'll kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, or do the, the little Pearl Jam, the, yeah. And so we got to, we got to thank James Hetfield for that amazing, thank Papa Head for that amazing, uh, those amazing quirks. Uh, and if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have an outlet for my attention span, whatever the fuck's wrong with it. Uh, so but back to Jason being, dubbed the heart and soul kind of uh of the band, he's also allowed to to you know kind of take over some of the lead vocals that James would normally sing, like he sings parts of Creeping Death. He's not just backup vocals, uh. So his presence is definitely heavily felt, you know, in the band and, like just like I said when we first start talking about Jason, he stepped out of that shadow of Cliff Burton's shadow. You know, he's his own person. He's his own entity within Metallica's history and he's he now has his own legacy. You know, he's not just someone who's riding the coattails of somebody else. I mean, he's rivaling he's rivaling the the talent and performances of Cliff too and it's just so amazing how does Metallica get so lucky that they land two of the greatest bassists of all time? potentially three uh, after Jason's gone and we can get Robert I mean you could people sh- I, I see stories and comments like people shit on Robert Robert Trujillo uh, he's he's been well established he's got nothing to prove the man is talented as fuck it's just you know it, he's kind of dealt the short end of the stick you know you, you're going on after guys like Cliff and, and, and Jason you know people are just so full of shit but I, I, I will give my props to Robert And uh, we'll, we'll get to Robert here, here in a minute But Robert Trujillo Got nothing to be ashamed of Got nothing to prove Well established before uh, Before uh, Metallica With his days with Ozzy um, And his last 20 years with Metallica he Cements his own legacy within the band too But with Jason's antics on stage And the... Truck that just went by my house that can fuck itself. Um <laughs> it's becoming a thing, guys. That's a thing. That's that's my quirk right there. Is in the middle of the show. Fuck these vehicles driving by. <laughs> um, so with his antics, and like I talked about the physicality that it takes to be in this band, it does take its toll on Jason. And so we'll kind of get to that here in a second too, when we get out of the rest of the stuff that Jason was a part of with Metallica. Cause it's not just, you know, it's not just, uh, and justice for all in the black album. I mean that we have, we get, you know, the load and reload albums, uh, symphony and Metallica S N M one. And like I said, touring over a that doing over a thousand shows. So when they go in to do load, um, you know they find that they have enough songs recorded for a double-sided album, so they decide to split it up. One year we'll release Load, and then we're going to do Reload. And... <laughs> Load is... <laughs> it took me... I was in college when I fucking realized the artwork for Load was not Flames. It is literally the name of the painting, Blood and Semen. <laughs> the artwork... The guy who came up with the artwork... It, Like a it's like they took a picture of like a petri dish and it's literally a combination of blood and semen. (laughs) When you look at so like you know when you play a phone a song on your phone and it shows you the little bitty picture of the album, I don't know if I have no idea why. I just I never paid attention and I just always thought, oh, it's flames. And then upon closer realization of my, uh, that's blood and then I was talking to this guy I used to work with named Gabby in HEB in Stephenville and he talked about you know he's the one that that told talked to me about the blood and semen picture and it's just like I couldn't imagine being this bad. like you know what man we're fucking we're a world class band you know what I want to do Let's put some blood in. And let's put some blood on some glass and shoot your load into it mix it together and then take a picture. That's gonna be our artwork right there, a whole bloody family. <laughs> oh, and then so the next album, the album cover, uh, reload is just like, it looks like to me. It's it's what it is. It's it's urine, and blood, and it looks like to me. It just looks like something under a microscope. Um, but with load and reload, I mean. Uh, I, I like them. I think we get some damn good songs off of them, and uh, actually on Reload we get one of uh, uh, one of the best intros with the, give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire, which was when I heard that we were in, because uh, I don't think they play. I don't. I can't remember if they played that in twenty seventeen, when I was there at AT T Stadium. But I know they played it in Vegas. You know James starts off with the. Give me fuel and then I come in with my. I think I have it recorded on my phone too, and my voice is all cracking. And I've had a. Few, I think I had a few beers too, and I was. Give me fuel, I'm about uh, um, but you know, so Jason continues to have his fingerprints there on on some of the success on the success that those albums have, and then they go into the uh, Garage Inc. Uh, uh, cover album, which is just a song about, or which is a, a album with a bunch of cover songs and. One of the cool things about that album is they actually do a they do a cover of Tuesday's gone by Leonard Skynyrd, and actually I mean the studio recording version sounds really good uh, there's a video of it they're performing it live pretty regrettable in my opinion there's just too much going on there's like seven 17 guitarists on the on stage it's just like okay at what point is at what point is is there too much guitar you know come on now um, but I mean so Jason, we talked about the physicality, right? And it takes its toll on him. Well, Jason, he talks about it. He's like, if you you wonder why I had to have, you know, knee, I think knee and hip surgery, the neck surgery or shoulder surgery. Well, if you watch his performances, he talks about, you know, I was going out there literally giving myself whiplash, you know, all of that running around, jumping, headbanging. I mean, think about it, over a thousand fucking shows, Rocking your head, your neck back and forth. Yeah, it's gonna take a toll on you. So, in two thousand and one, a lot of things are happening, and some some other issues have started to kind of build between him and the band that kind of come to a head. You know, so for one, he's recovering from surgery, next surgery, and he's trying to he trying to tell the he's trying to tell the band, hey guys, can we take an eight month hiatus? So that I can have this recovery from this surgery. And he's shocked when the band says, no. No, you can't. Well, we're supposed to be this big family. I'm your brother. Y'all are my brothers. What do you mean? Like, I'm not taking it to go and do... Uh, to go and fuck off. I'm doing it so that I can heal and and come and still be the, the guy that I am for this band. So you have that. Um, and then also... Over the last few years prior to this, um, Jason's got a couple side projects, right? Nothing that interferes with Metallica. Uh, and one of them is it's a band called Echo Brain. And he had been developing this and he took it to the management of Metallica and management at the label, actually really loved it and they were telling him man this is special and we like it because the the singer the lead singer is this good you're playing and then you have you know you're in metallica so that gives it pedigree like it's good people are going to want to listen to it we think this is going to be successful and we don't think this is going to interfere with um with metallica we want to push this through and so because remember as much as he's having his moments letting his his as much as his bass riffs and 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 lines are getting put on these uh, these albums and songs with the black album reload load and stuff like that he's still not totally in the creative process cuz remember now when we talk about injustice for all he's only credited with write he's only got writing credits for the, the song blacken nothing else and so this is his way of having a creative outlet. He's not shut out. He's, you know, he's. This is his way to to be able to own something and and kind of like how I feel with this podcast. It's my way of being able to create something and put it out there. Something that I like and that people are going to, uh, to enjoy. Um, and hopefully, I'm not uh, overstating the enjoy part. <laughs> uh, but so James Hetfield gets wind that management is pushing this product, is actually letting him go through with this product and encouraging him. And the story is that James gets upset. There's a lot of debate on was James jealous? Was he afraid that this was going to take over Metallica? As Jason talks about, James was just protecting what he loved. He's protecting Metallica and he's got this habit of squeezing and holding on to things way too tight that he loves. And with the... All of a sudden, a couple of days later, after James has this displeasure and tells Jason, "No, man, fuck this thing with Echo Brain. You're not gonna do it." Remember, management was like, "Yeah, green light." Two days later, after that, uh, management calls him and says, "Hey, yeah, the Echo Brain thing. Yeah, we're not gonna do that." Pisses him off. Then you have the, then you have the uh, thing where, uh, you know, they're not gonna take the hiatus to let him heal. So Jason decides. I'm I'm done. I'm gonna quit the band. And in two thousand in January of two thousand and one, uh, that's exactly what happens. Uh, Jason issues a statement that he's leaving the band, and that is that. And this is when the band gets in. Metallica gets into this, uh, weird stage, and then we start getting into what I like about about this thing this this kind of phases we get light through uh the documentary uh some kind of monster it shows you what Metallica is going through you know James is, I think he's already gone through rehab uh then we start getting into the making of Saint Anger which is a to me I'm sorry to the Metallica fans is a forgettable album uh the introduction of Robert Trujillo uh how there's a bunch of tension between kind of in the band that James sets James starts setting uh, limits that I'm not going to work. I'm not going to do any more creative things, past four piano. It's my time to be with my family or do what I want. And it's just crazy. Things get so wild for the band. So in 2003, once again, the band holds auditions. And ultimately, you know, Robert Trujillo uh, is picked and he's he replaces Jason Newsted on bass. And it's actually funny to think about. So though you, even though you have two of the most influential bases, bases that have been with Metallica, Robert now is the longest serving, uh, bassist of Metallica. So it's he's been with the band for you know twenty years this year, um, and so that's long. You know Cliff was only three years, Jason fourteen, um, and it's just so crazy. It just shows the longevity of the band and 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 how much has transpired since then. Like now they're just. I don't know, I, I can't say it's drama free I mean, I'm not there with the band I'm sure there's issues, but it's just like Now that they're older The focus is once again, just the music again And you just wonder Would it have been like that? Like, what if it was like that When, when Jason was there? If, and if the whole, you know If the whole Echo Brain thing The whole surgery thing Went over way better than it did What would have happened? so what does robert bring to the table is he just a random bassist? Is he just another big fan of the band that they just decide hey he plays good enough well not necessarily robert had established himself in the in the 80s you know with his band being a part of the band's suicidal tendencies and as we talked about earlier i mean he was he found himself performing with the prince of darkness ozzy osbourne i mean what what else do you need on a resume? Like, yeah, I played bass for fucking Ozzy. I watched him bite the bat's fucking head off. You know, and then through through that, who does he meet? Zach Wilde. Uh, hello. One of the greatest guitarists of all time. And he helps, he goes on to play a few live shows with uh, Black Label Society. You know, I mean, like, like you could shit, like, like I talked about, people shit on Robert for some reason. I don't know, but his resume tells a different story than what people talk about. So, while Robert, you know, Robert comes in in 2003, and in June of 2003, St. Anger is released, so he's not really, he's not credited with that, he's not, he wasn't a part of, part of that. Uh, I wouldn't want to be attached to that album, I'm sorry. I remember, and it's so crazy, I have these, like, I have these, like, core memories, I guess, is what Danny would call them. Uh, but, you know, we used to, I used to go to the mall, especially during the summertime, every Tuesday with my Uncle Paul, you know, our grandpa would drop us off we go to Toys R Us, and then we would cross the street with my brother. You know, because Paul's in a wheelchair, so we would push. Oh, God, this was, is this was so awesome. It actually takes me back, gives me some chills thinking about it. And we'd go to the mall, and, you know, there's music shops. And I always would see, you know, this is back in the day when they had all those CD racks. You know, things weren't digital. You, you couldn't download music on your phone. I mean, you had to go and buy albums. You had to go buy cassettes. You had to go buy CDs. And I always saw the St. Anger album, you know, with a little tied-up fist on there. And one of them, that's one of the most prominent albums that I always saw. That, Marilyn Manson's, Corn uh, and Slipknot, stuff like that, because that's what was popular at the time. And I never really paid much attention to it. And as I got older, I would listen to it. And I'm like, this fucking album sucks. And, you know, you can't win them all. <laughs> you know, uh, just my opinion, I, Saint Anger is a forgettable album for me. And if I was Robert, I'd be glad to not have my name on that. Uh, but his first album that he gets uh, dubbed to is, you know, it doesn't come for another five years and it's uh, 2008's album Death Magnetic, which uh, is better than, I mean, it's not worse than St. Anger, it's not bad, it's had a couple of good songs on there Uh, but, you know, when you're when you've been together for 30 years it's kind of hard to, like, put something new out, it's like, okay, at what point does everything sound the same? has done a good job of doing that, of kind of reinventing the sound and putting stuff out but like bands like think about acdc i mean acdc what is it shot in the dark came out was it last year or the year before i mean it sounds like every acdc song ever written and i love acdc but it's just this is how it is but so the cool thing about saint anger is you know it debuts at number one and so does death magnetic so what does that do for metallica though that's five straight albums that debuted at number one and then so death magnetic comes out in 08 right well then what do we have at that time you know what's big is you know we talked about earlier guitar hero well then remember metallica got their own guitar hero game like you that's how you know you've made it i mean you know you've got these franchises that are coming up that love rock and roll that love music and they come to you like hey do you want your own video game like i don't what would i i don't know what i would do (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like at some point you have to look back and say, like, fuck, we made it, dudes. Fuck yeah, I mean we got five number one albums. We've got uh, we've got millions of dollars, we've got how many action figures of us people buy our t-shirts, like like I don't know how it'd feel like if there was like a Jose asking me an action figure. Like I think I feel like if you're familiar with the show George Lopez's old sitcom, when he has flashbacks to when he was a kid. And He's got a kid's body, but his head is his adult his adult head That's how I feel like my action figure would look just regular body, but a big ass head You know, so Robert joins the band and you know Metallica starting to just you know Live off the interest I guess is how you'd say you know They've got this they've got you know Death Magnetic Well, same it it, it's a good album and it's debuted again at number one They got their video game at 09. They, you know, they get inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame. Um, they collaborate with Lou Reed to, to make Lulu in 2011, uh, which is another album, uh, that Robert's a part of. Um, they have seven, they go on several tours. They have, you know, they connect with the big four, you know, Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, and Anthrax, uh, uh, take, you know, they kind of get on stage together in 2010. And f- throughout that year, you know, they have what they, they play, what they call the big four concerts, you know, um, they have their 30th anniversary. They had their own music festival. Uh, I think in 12 or 13 is when they started the black blackened label. Yeah. Metallica has their own label. And then, I mean, think about this. So, you know, even though the Metallica started in LA, Remember the, the move to San Francisco. That's that's pretty much where they're they're pretty much performing out of right. Uh well in two thousand thirteen at it, it uh the New York Giants Stadium. Or I'm sorry, New York Giants, fuck the Giants. Uh, the San Francisco Giants Stadium, I mean, has their first Metallica night in two thousand and thirteen. Uh how awesome is that, you know, Law I think Lars threw out the first pitch and then uh Kirk and uh, Kirk and James played the national anthem, and I think that's a thing that they still do today. Uh, and then we talked about, you know, Mariano Rivera. I mean, Metallica's there for uh, Mariano Rivera's retirement in 2013. Uh, which, so yeah, it, it has fuck. It's been 10 years since Mariano retired. Uh, that that I mean that's that's insane. I mean, it's just like now they're just riding the wave. You know, they're like, let's just. Let's just just enjoy what we've created and and then continue to capitalize off of it, you know? It's not overreach here. Uh, But then in 2016, you know, we get that Hardwired to Self-Destruct album, and that's uh, another one, debuted at number one. Uh, And a lot of people kind of shit on the album. I think it's good. I I, I like it. And, you know, who's... So you have all this, you know, you have all this right now, and who's there for it all who's there to enjoy all the success is robert and you know we can't we can't pay tribute. we can't forget you know guys like cliff who who put the foundation there and then jason who helped pave the rest of the way you know it's like it's almost you almost like want to say they walked so that robert could, raymond and the rest of metallica could run um is it accurate? I hope so. I uh, hope that's not offensive to anyone. Hope especially not Robert. Uh, but you know you, you gotta tip your cap to Robert. You know he's helped he's helped the band stay you know stay on top and stay uh, stay successful um, and and enjoy this what I think is the the last ride of Metallica. I mean obviously it can't last for too much longer. You know they're in their sixties. I think. Um, But, uh, so those are, those are our four, we can't, we have to say four, those are our four bases for Metallica. Um, Oh my gosh, before we, before we start getting in the outro, let's, we, we can't, we got to pay some respect to Robert. So we want to talk about presence on stage. Okay, Robert, so it's like every, every basis they've had has their own thing. Well, Robert has this thing called the crab walk. And I love it. I've, I I made sure it was a point when I saw them both times to record the crab walk. He does it especially in when he opens up for uh, the uh, intro for uh, for whom the bell tolls. You know he walks around the stage. He's like chasing Kirk Hammond. Right? He's on all. He's on down. All, squatted all the way down his knees and he's walking around. And if you think about it, how hard is that? How hard is that to do? You know you're squatted all the way down and you're walking around and you've got this big ass bass guitar and you're playing it. And you know, and you're staying in time and hitting all hitting all the notes. That's some fucking talent there. And and Robert does a good job of having stage presence and and just kind of I mean, doing kind of like what, what Jason did and and having his own personality on stage that's accepted. You know, no one looks at Robert and like he's just there. No, like Robert's there and he's performing and he's putting on a badass show and he's got these long ass damn like uh it's like two like ponytails in the side no it's like pigtails I don't know what it is. His hair's long as shit. And it goes down and it's almost like, is he gonna trip on those motherfuckers? Uh so props to Robert Trujillo. I mean a badass bassist but so those are our four bassists that we talked about for Metallica. Um uh, You choose your favorite. I mean, if you're familiar with Metallica, if you're a big fan, I want to know. And of course, it's going to be a poll and I'm going to put it out on all the social media links, our websites and platforms. I want to know out of the four. I doubt Ron is any of them Any anyone's choice. I may exclude him from this, but just to be respectful, I might keep him. Who is your favorite Metallica bassist? Is it Ron? Is it the legendary Cliff Burton? Is it my favorite Jason Newstead? Is it the crab walking? Well established, uh, heavy metal rocker Robert Trujillo. Uh, let me know. I want to know. Uh, also, guys, some of the some of the Q and A's I'll ask you on on Spotify is gonna be. Uh, you know what are your favorite albums, Metallica albums, and what are your favorite Metallica songs? Um, you know I talked about uh, the Four Horsemen from the debut album Kill 'Em All. is one of my favorite. It's probably my favorite. Are you guys more of the Black album? Like some of you guys that don't aren't really some of y'all that aren't really into metal music. Do you like some of the stuff from the Black album, like Inter Sandman, Sad but True? Uh, I want to know about it. Let me know. Uh, Of course, give you a shout out on the next on next week's pod too. Like, hey, so and so loves this. Kudos to you. Awesome. Um, But guys, I appreciate you. uh, I appreciate y'all sticking around and continue to hit play with us here. Um, we're rounding out the month of April, um, got some good things going on, got plenty, still have so many ideas, it's like every day I'm like, oh fuck, write this down, write this down. I have, so I've, I've just got things churning for us guys, and I'm trying to really turn a corner here and capitalize on, on what we've got going on, I'm really trying to kind of dial in on what, what I want this show to be, and what the direction I'm trying to take it, um. And you guys are nothing but helpful by continuing to show up, continuing to listen, and continuing to interact. So I I, I can't tip my cap to you guys enough. Um, you know, uh, the Facebook page is still growing. Um, we're still trying. We're still trying to get to that next uh, two hundred mark for our next giveaway. You know, we're we're getting there, and we're just gonna take it in stride and continue to just have fun the most the most important thing for me is just make sure that this stays a fun and and enjoyable hobby for you guys because i really love doing this it's the highlight of my days of my weeks when uh when i'm not working to do this stuff so uh, it really means so much to me when you guys just listen interact and uh and give me some feedback um but lots of exciting things also happening around topics of the show uh the dallas stars are in a all-out battle in their playoff first round playoff series with the minnesota wild uh series is tied two games to two uh will be coming back to dallas to uh tuesday night to play game five uh the texas rangers are heating up who the fuck are these guys first place in the al in the al west uh Doliz garcia with a three homer night this weekend Uh, Let's, let's hope that we keep that same energy going. Uh, So everyone, I appreciate all the support and all of, uh, all of you guys' encouragement. Uh, I hope to continue to hear from you guys all throughout the week. Uh, I want to be more active on uh, social media this week. So expect some, uh, some, maybe some memes or some other questions and polls. Uh, Feel free to interact with those guys and let me hear what you have on your mind. If you've got any requests, any feedback shoot it to me uh dm me uh email the emails on the facebook page Uh, But guys i appreciate you being here can't wait to uh, hear what you guys have to say about this episode and what you think of the band metallica and to hear who's your favorite bassist let me know please but i love you guys and i'll see y'all next week